You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2023 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Dear Father in Heaven, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for the privilege of being together today. And I pray that you will lead and guide in our time together. Lord, you know what each of us needs, and so I pray that you'll speak through me and or despite me as you need to. Thank you, Father. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, I'll start with... I. I grew up in Adventist education, born in Wyoming, grew up in Nebraska, ended up, you know, went to Platte Valley Academy, Union College, and then stumbled into refugee ministries. Um, I love Bible texts for passwords because they have a special character. They have letters and numbers, capitals and small special characters. And symbols, right? <laughs> um, and ended up stumbling into giving rides to Cambodian refugees to a church service in their language done by doctors Neil and uh, Ralph and Beatrice Neal at Union College. Did you know them? Uh, the name is vaguely familiar. Yeah. But we've been in Thailand for 10 years and I've had to deal with a lot of your names. Oh, So I know your son. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, I can hardly wait to talk more if I don't connect more. Yeah, so I um, ended up at the end of the school year. The details are the fun part, but I uh, But I want to get to some of the nitty-gritty that you're, you can take home and use. So I'll just kind of skip over the fun part. I ended up accepting a call to go to Thailand. Went for six months, stayed four years, loved every minute of it, like most of us that go to Thailand do. <laughs> and um, ended up working in refugee camps where I met many people who had never heard the name Jesus. I met many people who had never even heard the word for God that's used in the Bible in their language. And he... <laughs> It's hard to imagine here, but I'll tell you story after story, but uh, I ended up just tr trying to learn some of the language, and they are so gracious in sharing their language. Are you trying to get it on extended display instead of mirror? No, I've got to keep it on mirror. Um, so that you can see the same I thing up there. I think mirror is... definitely is on mirror right now. Yes. So then what was the issue? So the, the issue before was, oh, well, Trying the size, it but it seemed to be oh, okay when we went ahead yeah. and, yesterday, so it wasn't doing this back in the dorms just when I hooked it up, but it seemed to be okay once I, well, if we, so if we open Let's start PowerPoint. it with this off, oh, okay. and then, oh, okay. and then plug in, because it will automatically. Okay. Yeah, it's detecting the screen size over there and trying to make them match. That's nice. Yeah, sorry. Sorry for the technical issues. It was fine until a few minutes ago. <laughs> so, um, I just fell in love with the people. And there's, I was a music major, loved music before I went. I still love music, but there's nothing like being able to share the gospel with people who are hungering and thirsting for it. Before I left, <clears throat> I was canvassing, and I was telling everybody, I was so excited that I was going overseas, <laughs> I was telling everyone about it. I got one response that I didn't expect. One man said, why do you have to go and mess, these, mess those people up? I mean, they have their language. I heard that too. They, oh, yeah. they have their language, they have their culture, they're just fine. You don't have to. Why do you have to go mess them up? Well, obviously, as a Christian, I don't believe we're messing people up, but obviously he thought I was, and so I wasn't there to argue, and I didn't have, I didn't know an answer that would <laughs> be helpful to him at that point, so I just tucked it away as, well, that's interesting that some people feel that way. Um, 
little did I know that God would give me give me the best answer to that. I was in the Napol refugee camp up in Nakhon Phnom province in the northeast. And um, a camp that I was told we could not go to, but we went anyway. <laughs> Pray that we could go in and they let us, because we had some students that had been sent there from a camp I was authorized to teach in. And so we said, we were teachers, we came to see our students. And they said, what are their names? And so we had a list of names, yay long, and they said, well, we can't call all those. We'll call the first 20. So they called a few, gave us 20 minutes to talk and say, okay, time's up. We had traveled four hours on one bus, switched bus, another 30 minutes, then we walked another 30 minutes. So it was like a, at least a five-hour trip to get there, not counting wait, waiting for the buses, and a five-hour trip back, but we had seen our, some of our students. Well, the next time we went, they let us stay an hour. <laughs> and the next time we prayed, we had a team member that said, I believe God will help us be able to visit them in, in their homes <laughs> in the refugee camp. And sure enough, God answered that prayer. And by that time, they knew that we were going to come back and see them. And they had prepared gifts for us. One of my students had woven a, um, a, a little rice basket with his name in it for a keepsake. And his name was Gat, which means sheep or lamb. And and this was the spirit. They were just truly <laughs> lambs, teachable. They just were eager to learn the gospel. Um, I had actually, I had gone as a 20-year-old, you know, to teach English and share the gospel and, you know, kind of teach English as an entering wedge. When I was there about five, I'd been there about five months, and all of a sudden, one day I came to camp, and everyone was just, I mean, so sad that you could feel it in the air. They, they were, it was just, there was something wrong. And I asked, and they said, we just, uh, they announced yesterday that we, most everyone in the camp, will never have a chance to go to a third country, not to be confused with third world country. In, in refugee resettlement uh, terminology, uh, the, the first country to which refugees flee is the country of asylum. And then if they have the privilege, which less than 1% do, to be resettled in another country, then that's called the third country, because their home country is the first the first country they flee to typically can't keep them long-term. And so if another government reaches out and resettles them, that's called the third country. And so um, the U.S. and Canada and Australia, actually, the U.S. has historically welcomed more refugees per capita, no, more refugees in numbers than any other, than all of the other nine countries combined, but Australia and Canada receive more refugees per capita than we do. Um, but I, um, yeah, when I was working in the refugee camp that day, they were just so sad, and so I said, what's wrong? They said they just, they announced that there was some mistake in the numbering, and so almost all of us will not be able to go to a third country ever. So we're going probably going to be sent back eventually to our country, but until then we're going to be sent to the Napol refugee camp. I was in Ubon, and at that moment, <coughs> the English I had been teaching them was valueless. And I thought, my, it would make no sense for me to go ahead, go on with English class today. And I thought to myself, you know, the real purpose I came was to share Jesus. Why have I not done it before this? 
Little did I know that my chance would end like they were going to be gone in a week. And I thought, what? What did I think I was doing? <laughs> and I prayed. So that day I had, I had learned a Thai song. These refugees were Lao, and Thai and Lao languages are similar. What's your name? Daniel. Daniel Bear. Daniel. Well, thank you, Daniel. <laughs> um, thank you for your affirmation. He knows <laughs> so much of what I'm talking about. So Thai and Lao languages are similar. For example, Thai, if you, a common greeting is, Bai Nai, where are you going? <laughs> it may sound like we're getting into each other's business here, but that, it's just a friendly greeting. And so the Thai say Bai Nai, the Lao say Bai Sai, <laughs> so similar languages. And so I knew that, and more Lao know Thai than the other way around, because Thailand is a more developed country. So I, I had learned a song called The Road of Life. And it talks about on the road of life, there's no hope to be found. Uh, anything you hope for, you don't even see a shadow of. But on the road of God, there's hope. Um, and it talks about the hope of eternal life, obviously. And, and you know, the whole song is just so beautiful, and it's poetic in their language. It's it's written to a tune that's that's familiar in their culture. And it's I sang that song to my students, and they said, and told them a little bit about Jesus, and they said, "Why didn't you tell us about Jesus sooner?" Why? Why did I didn't know why? I mean, I I was just shy, or I think in our culture, there's kind of a subcurrent that you know, don't push anything on anybody, you know, don't. But over there, if you care, you will share. <laughs> and so I started sharing, but I had very little time, and so I thought, what can I send with them? And I knew that they, they didn't have any income. So I found some, um, some Gospels, the Matthew, Mark, let's see, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I think it was just the four Gospels that I found in little booklets that had been translated into Thai. I got enough copies for all of my students. I got some stationery, some pens, and some stamps so they could write to me. <laughs> and and uh, I gave them to them, and we said goodbye on the bus just days later. And we just wanted so much for them to, you know, we wanted, there's so much more we wanted to share. But it wasn't until we realized this is it, this is our, probably our last chance. We were told we couldn't go to that camp until, but then we went anyway, and God opened the doors. And we were able to actually on it, we planted a church there under the, you know, on the bamboo platform at the front of the camp, we elected the elders. <laughs> and they were on their own to, <laughs> to study and learn and teach and until, you know, the, the few visits we could make. Um, later on one of my trips there, I was, I was able to go more times I was invited to speak in and sing for the Sunday church in the camp. And, um, and afterwards, I remember one day a young man asked if he could tell me his story. And I said, sure. And he said, uh, I, was 17, I, was, I was 10 when communism came into my country, and my parents had good jobs in the capital city, and so they were among the first to be captured and taken to the re-education camps that we would call concentration camps. And um, <coughs> he said, I realized I'm the man of the house. I need to take care of my little sister, who was seven at the time. And he thought, what can I do? What do we have that other people don't have that I could use to make money? Well, we, they had a bathtub. And so he decided, I will raise fish in the bathtub and sell them at the market to take care of my sister. Well, you can imagine, it didn't produce enough quick enough for him to take care of his sister. He finally realized, I'm going to have to flee to, and 
find a way to get across to the refugee camp in Thailand. And he made it over there, he and his sister uh, left his home, his parents' car sitting in the garage. He said, every time people come, new people come from Laos, I ask them, have you seen my parents? Have you heard about them? Any news from my parents? And he said, no one has ever heard uh, anything about them. And his parents were well-known. Uh, so he said, I don't know if they're dead or alive. I don't know if I'll ever see them again. And um, then he said something that made my jaw drop. He said, but I am so glad that communism came into my country. He must have seen the shock on my face, and he, so he was quick to answer my unspoken question. He said, because if communism had never come into my country, I never would have learned about God. And at that moment, Thailand Thai Thais are the least reached in yes. the area because they've been in comfort for all this time. They've never had these. Yes, my husband is Thai. He's Mong Thai, and he is praying <laughs> for political turmoil, literally. Yeah, sometimes that's because crazy. how else? Unfortunately, <laughs> sometimes it takes. Here too. Uh -huh. America is the one of the worst countries in the world for people not wanting to, to know God, not wanting to know anything about God. It's becoming. You talk to people, they don't want to hear it, they don't want to know about it. But when persecution starts coming to people in America, that's going to make a lot of Americans want to know more too. You know, people here, and, you know, so this. That's what I'm trying to do, is trying to reach people here. Amen. COVID period is quite an opportunity while we were over there. Yeah. People were seeking during that. And so you were there during COVID? Yeah. Yeah, we've been back one year. Wow. Technically, well, we're still there mentally and hearts. And I hear you. We're doing digital missions, basically. Continue. Amen. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I like what... Yeah. Focus here as well. Yes. Working here with the, those who are just. Yes. And one of the best things is it can be a training ground for more missionaries. Okay. Amen. <laughs> That's Amen. an important thing. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, you know, did you have a question? Yeah. yeah. Well, the reason we have a flood in this country of people because they're not going in the right way to enter this country. And the sad part of it is that our own people now are, are hungry. And we've got kids in this country that are not getting food. And so now we have a flood of people in this country that are here illegally, and their children are being raped. I mean, things are going on. They're crossing the borders. And, and how are we to really help them when they, you know, they don't even speak English? You, you can't, you know, and we can't even help our own people. You know what I'm saying? I'm and glad you mentioned that. And actually, um, that brings me to, let me just... Um, and I'm not saying we're not mm -hmm. supposed to help people because America funds billions and billions and billions amount of money go to other countries to help them. They may not get it because somebody's stealing it. Mm. Yes, it's interesting um, to see. Still kind of. Wow, I really want to pull this up for you. Let me. See if I can. Why don't you just screen for and get to where you want to be in that photograph here? Oh, you inside. Then you can see the screen back and it's original. Okay, thank you. Ah. Hit display and then plug your. Thank you, thank you. Ah. Just the advice I needed. So. That story was a little intro, a little teaser, but it's, 
it's amazing what I've discovered about God's plan. You know, often as humans, we we have plans for what we do and where we go, where we move, but it's amazing to see what God's plan is. Um, and I like to take the start with the airplane view. Our mission as a church is to reach every nation, kindred, tongue, and people in a nutshell, right? And so I thought, where are we in this? And how much do we have yet? How far do we have yet to go? And I did a little research, and I found out that we as a church have a presence in 215 of the 236 nations and areas um, recognized by the United Nations. Amen? <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, so the next is kindred. And I looked for some research on how many kindred are reached. But So if you find some, let me know, because I wasn't able to find any research. I think we don't know how to define that one very well. JoshuaProject.net is uh, tracking us in nations, tongues, and people. Exactly. Exactly. So I didn't even, I, it was, I didn't know how to define it, but my husband is Hmong from Thailand, and in the Hmong culture, even here in America, refugees who are here, if they meet in the grocery line, their first question isn't, oh, what's your name? Where do you live? Where do you work? It's which Hmong are you? In other words, yeah. which kindred are you from? Which what? Kindred. Yeah, okay. Or which tribe. In, in the Hmong culture, traditionally, there were 12 last names, 12 tribes. What does that remind you of? Uh, yes, and we have sought ourselves. These could be some of the lost. Yes. My wife and I are oh my. curious because there are certain little tidbits here and there throughout their culture. There are many. We have got to talk. You've got to meet my husband. Okay. He has identified over 50 unique characteristics of that culture yes. that are different from most Asian cultures that are in the Bible. In fact, there are people that, there's a woman, so this, let me just add a little tidbit since she mentioned it. The Hmong culture, they don't, uh, it's basically at this point, they, they have animal sacrifices, but they're understood in the context of, of the spirits. They live in fear of the spirits. But, um, and when they get sick, they believe that one of their 13 spirits has been kidnapped by an outside spirit, like a rock spirit or a tree spirit, that somehow gained access to, through, to them, got past their home spirits, maybe because they offended the home spirits by going to church. Or, you know, <laughs> over there, they don't have churches, but offended them in some way. Uh, in America, it might be going to church or you know, sitting through a Bible study. But, um, but some, so, they, if they, if this happens, if they get sick, um, then they have to call a shaman, do a feast, pay the shaman to consult the spirits to see what, um, what animal needs to be sacrificed that they believe releases an animal spirit to come and... May or may not work. Right, may or may not work. And here they've fed the whole town a well, feast. Spent all of their life saving. Exactly. And then if the relative, and they'll do it as many times as they possibly can, they'll borrow to do it. They'll go into debt for generations just over one sick relative who eventually dies. And then they have to do a, a funeral and feed even more people from farther distances. Uh, and so it's... Uh, but but it's very extensive. It's a difficult thing, especially if, there are any, if there's any sickness in the family. Um, but if they are in danger and they don't have time to call a shaman, they say they cry out to the owner of the sky. They say, "Sky, help me." In other words, owner of the sky, help me. Yeah. So they're they have a belief that there is an owner of the sky that made everything and that can help you when you're in danger. In China, that's the great uh, God also. Yes. And so 
Um, they have a flood story. Yes. Right. right. So, so they right. all have a flood story. They have flood stories because we all started at the Tower of Babel. <laughs> right. All of our cultures, all of our kindreds, mm -hmm. nations, tongues, and people yes. started there. Mm -hmm. and moved outward. So all nations have an inkling that there is a superpower, a one power that's over. If they have multitudes of gods, there's one god over all those gods. In most cultures, there is. So yes. we can use that belief to try to help them find, of course, the true god yes. and the sun. And, and restore and, them. And restore That's them one too. of the things. Some of these right. people are coming from a culture of Buddhists, and they say, oh, it's older than Christianity. And you, you no. we can go back farther. And actually, your Hindu was a loss of what was originally over here, and now right. you're far away. So how about you go back to the faith of your father? Right. Yes. Go back to that faith that in the mm -hmm. one God. Mm -hmm. And forget all those others, because they, they're not... We need to worship one God. So the only true God. The only true God. But that is that is if you can get if they're praying to the God of the sky. Yes. And then they and we can help them heal somebody of something with our with our remedies then especially the charcoal is being used a lot. Because it's charcoal. Mm -hmm. Anywhere you go, you can make you can make charcoal. That's It'll true. Help relieve a lot of out of a lot of ailments. So yes, and and what you're saying about uh, finding a bridge. Uh, there's sometimes a tendency for us as missionaries to go to other cultures and feel like, well, we are the ones that know. We have a monopoly on God. We know everything about God. <laughs> right. We're the, we're the teachers. We're the ones to teach you. And we do have, we are blessed with an incredible, with, with the specific, with an amazing, with his word and with insights into so many things, the health message that, yeah. But when we're going into another culture, if we go in, if we tiptoe in, like the Bible says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. There's nothing worse you can do in a Buddhist culture than to compare Buddhism with Christianity and lift up Christianity. They, they are very open to Christianity when I told them, you know, when they found out I was teaching the Bible, and they said, oh, that's good, you're teaching religion. All, and then go on to say all religions are good because all religions teach people to be good people. So they're very open to coming to church to listen. They'll, you know, they're very open. Um, but the worst thing you could, they, they believe that if you are truly a good person, you're not going to put down another religion. So to them, the concept of loyalty is... You can go yeah, in and yeah. say, look at the tenets of Buddhism, why that matches, that matches, that uh -huh. Look at all this. I can't hardly disagree with any of your eight this and mm -hmm. this number of this, the same with mm -hmm. Islam. When you start seeking the commonality, mm -hmm. it's a, a significant Bible verse that has, I've heard another slightly alteration of it is, we're used to hearing can two walk together unless they agree, and yet the other way was can two walk together unless they focus upon what they agree. Well, how do marriages work? If I focus on what's different, we don't get anywhere. <laughs> yeah. But if we start focusing on what we agree, then we accomplish a lot together. Good. And so good. then when it comes to ministry, how are you going to get the guard down? You, mm -hmm. And it, the, the, this other cultural uh, uh, breakout or session over here is a similar mm -hmm. idea. Disinter is something benevolence. Come on. Disinterested, Disinterested benevolence. benevolence yes. Where you do not have an ulterior motive. Yes. Your best motive is, or your biggest goal is to <coughs> simply be a blessing to the other person no matter mm -hmm. what. Exactly. Mm -hmm. No matter what the outcome, whether you've got a baptism or not. Amen. And, and you don't have that target goal of, you know, yeah, you're going to make my church. Hurt this person. <laughs> yeah. Right. Although, here's a... Friendship ministry. Right. You know, get to know them, get to know their interests, get to know who they yes. are. Um, I, I was at that class too, but you know, when yes. you meet someone from another culture, and now in America, we're more often to meet people from different cultures. That's so true. Whether Muslim or, you know, I, that's who I had 
had come in contact with, and we're friends. Right. Is he a Christian now? No. Do we do we walk together with agreement when we get on the things that we can agree with? Mm-hmm. But he is he is open to learning more. He's open to hearing more about my religion, and I'm mm-hmm. open, and I hear him mm-hmm. tell me his religion. So I'm learning a little bit about what it is to be a Muslim, mm-hmm. and he's learning what it is to be a Christian. That's what we can do with the, to, together to help people. You know, and showing them the kindness of Christ. Yes, and I think more important than where we are in our journey is which direction we're going. So instead of us drawing a circle and saying, okay, these are in because they're baptized and these are out because they're not, (laughs) Um, as someone shared, there may be some people within the church that are not seeking God, they're... <laughs> we, we have, Paul is speaking about this. Mm-hmm. There are those who are circumcised who aren't really circumcised. Right. So the new circumcision is baptism, basically, but that's mm-hmm. maybe not perfect. But right. I mean, baptism has its importance. Absolutely. It it's not a foolish thing. It's not no. unnecessary. But the blessing of it is mm-hmm. recognizing that it doesn't matter where they're at. Encourages them yes. to be closer, help. And another thing that I learned from my children is Sharing is not me coming up and saying, here, you need to accept this. Mm-hmm. Sharing is when they ask, yes. can you, can, can I have something that you have? Mm-hmm. That, and, and we were sometimes, <laughs> I'm going to share Jesus with people. Um, that isn't quite sharing. You're trying right. to give Jesus to people, but for them to want it is the significant thing. Yes. And you notice Jesus' method, uh, Christ's method alone, give right. true success. You notice there the steps. Uh, the, there are several steps before you get to saying "follow me" or "follow Christ." You know, and the one just before is winning their confidence. Until so, until you see indications that they have confidence in you, you are often jumping the gun, and you can you can ruin the progress. But let's just run through this real quickly because there's something rather amazing I discovered. You mentioned Joshua Project. And um, 7,000 languages languages that are unreached by the gospel. Well, that's that's the sum total of what they anticipate are all the possible languages on the planet is nearly 7,000. Well, I think... So I think this... And it's depending on how you count them, whether because there are some language groups in multiple countries, so do you count each? But this is, I think, the language group as a whole. These are just the unreached. Um, <laughs> and I wondered how many people that represented. 3.15 Thank you. When I first started, it was 2.9 billion in 2009. It's well, this is the uh, just the just the people within the unreached language groups, yes. about forty-three percent of the world's population. So I wondered what would it take to reach because we're told we're to reach the world with the gospel within this generation. And so I did some calculation. I found that every Seventh Day Adventist, on an average, to reach the world with the gospel in this generation needs to reach 165 of the unreached people groups. And so, and our membership grew by 1 million last year, amen? But the world population grew by 75 million, so it's not getting any easier. The sooner we start the... Right. (coughs) Where are they? Primarily in the 1040 window, restricted nations, countries with little, if any, religious freedom... Um, picture of the 1040 window here, just skimming. So how can we reach them? It seems, seems rather daunting, but I believe God's biddings are enabling. Amen. God has a plan. And when I found this quote, it was like a page from God's strategic planning committee in heaven just drifted to earth. 
And it says, if we were quick in discerning the opening providences of God, we should be able to see in the multiplying opportunities to reach many foreigners in America, a divinely appointed means of rapidly extending the third angel's message into many, most, yeah, all the nations of the earth. So if God's plan, the divinely appointed means of rapidly extending the third angel's message into all the nations of the earth is for us to reach those he is bringing here. When you ask them why they came, they have various reasons in their mind. Refugees, of course, most refugees, unlike what most Americans think, they never wanted to come in the first place and they would much rather just go straight back home. <laughs> But they language difficulties. Well, but actually, yeah. But for refugees, it's it's a matter of life and death. Yeah. So <laughs> I started to say they didn't have a choice. Well, yeah, they had a choice. They could stay and die. Stay and die. <laughs> but um, so it's not just they're looking for a better life. They they loved the life they had before the political turmoil came in, or um, and so, but. <clears throat> they may not know why they're here. And the next part is even more amazing. God, in his providence, has brought men to our very doors and thrust them, as it were, into our arms. And to me, that just screams the word refugee. Mm -hmm. They were thrust here. They didn't ask to come. In it's fact, she's writing this then yes. in the situation that you, she's writing that in present tense terms. Yes. And yes, America was a melting pot at that point of so many is coming in this way, and yet here the applicableness is thrust now really makes sense because yes. they're, they are, you know, this is their last recourse kind of thing. Right, exactly. Yes. And, and why is he bringing them? This next part is even deeper, that they may learn the truth and be qualified to do a work we could not do. Um, in getting the light before men of other tongues. There is a whole group of Chinese people that are going to be coming to Michigan in a short time. They'll be housed in Big yeah. Rapids at the college. Really? Our governor has allowed China to build a park in the um, Big Rapids area to build parts, computer chips or something, anyway. Something for the phones, something like that, anyway. Or batteries. So they're coming here. Really? The Chinese government is going to bring their nationals, their people here, and house them in big rapids. Wow. There is a huge opportunity for us to reach China through these that people that is... are here. Now, I don't know how much we'll be able to get to them to talk to them. Mm -hmm. They'll be if they'll be locked up in those areas by their own government. They will be officiated by their government. I'm sure there'll be a Chinese police station in that area. But those people are from China, and they need to, if they hear the truth, and then they spread the truth back to their families in China, it could be an exponential. The gospel is already going like wildfires for China. The Communist Party is absolutely trying to squash it out, and the more harder they press, the faster it moves. Right. It's amazing what's happening over there. But yeah, they are... They are highly monitored. Every move, every every communication, every action they have when they're outside of their country is um, inside the country and outside of the country right now is it's extremely monitored. Yeah, mm -hmm. extremely But you can't, you can't if they go back to China. You can't always monitor everything they say around their dinner table, or you know. So this is this is the group of people that we could possibly reach. Absolutely. Would be not only here for a while and maybe go back to China. Yes. With the truth. So, for the benefit of the people listening on the recording, um, I'm hearing that there, there is a, there is a plant, a, a factory, a factory going into Big Rapids, Michigan, mm -hmm. that will be manned by Chinese Nations. nationals who will be coming here to work in that plant, which. This is an incredible opportunity, and you notice what it says, they may be qualified to do a work we could not do in getting the light before men of other tongues. So 
people from within a culture, when they learn the beauty of God's love and his message, they can share it with their people in ways that we never thought of, with illustrations that just resonate with them that we would never think of. So our topic for today is how to be most effective. So to be most effective, we need to keep this inspired counsel in mind that, <coughs> that the influencers from within a culture can do a work we couldn't begin to do. And my husband likes to tell me that, in, for example, in the Hmong culture, in Hmong, it has many similarities to Chinese yes. in the way they do things. My husband likes to say the real leader in a Hmong community may not be the man standing up talking. It may be the old man in the corner, sitting in the corner dressed in rags with half his teeth out. But when he says go, everybody jumps. And when he says no, nobody moves. And he said the key is to find the real influencers. And he is so good at this. I have seen him walk into, he, um, walk into a group of people he he didn't know before <laughs> in his culture. And, you know, maybe he knows one or two that, the one or two that invited him to lead in that. But he didn't know the rest of the people. They're from out of state. It may be a few minutes before it's to start and he's to lead. And to lead something in a Hmong culture is not like leading something in our culture. You know, we have a program up here. We just, but in, to lead something in a Hmong culture, is to include the key leaders in speaking. And I, I am amazed every time I see it. He'll go in and just he knows just what to ask, just what questions to ask. He'll go talk to this person and then be re referred to another person. Welcome. And he will, within minutes, he knows who the real influencers are. Then he'll get up and begin the meeting, you know, begin the program, and and he will. By that time, he knows the names of the key influencers, and he will call the right people up in the right order. And if the right people are not in the room, he will ask someone to go find them and call them in, because, and and this is something that I that what several of you mentioned. Rem what I wanted to mention earlier, you mentioned that there are bridges, and there's something else that I've noticed. Often there are not only similarities, but there are areas in which other cultures reflect Jesus in ways that our culture, better than we typically do in our Western culture. For example, what, when you think of a leader, what do you think of? Someone with a crisp step, someone who's confident, someone who makes eye contact with people, right? Uh, a young man who's very, you know, charismatic, he's good at speaking, you know. But the, just the very characteristics of, lead, of a leader in other cultures, a leader often doesn't look like what we think a leader would look like, which this is very important when we're working with other cultures that we don't choose the leaders. We need to let them choose the leaders and we choose, we train the leaders they choose. But that goes back to kindred. Because the That's leader in, in a kindred group would be the patriarch of that group. Just like Abraham was the leader of the new Jewish nation, the new mm -hmm. nation that was becoming a Jewish nation, Abraham was not necessarily a bold um, like a, someone saying, you will do this, you will do that, whatever. Mm -hmm. But he was the respected elder of that kindred. Yes. And so that's where you're, what, that's what he's finding. He's looking through and he's seeing in this tribe, in this group of people, mm -hmm. the respected elder in this group is this guy. Yes. And then, then there are several. And oh, yeah, yeah. there'll be mm -hmm. several. You know, I don't right. mind, but yeah. And, and that's, right. I think that's what we're 
finding we've gotten too far away from tribal right. and in kindred type groups. Mm -hmm. We're such a melting pot here in, in America. Right, and we focus we on the nuclear family. Right. And so another thing that, that can be very effective in helping us reach other cultures is for us to look for Matthew 5 values in their culture. Look for ways in which this culture is more biblical than our own. Yes. The meek, Jesus says, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And the Thai culture just oozes meekness and love, doesn't it, though? And, and many Asian cultures do. They're just so unassuming, so respectful. Some people are very accomplished, but the way they talk to you, you would never dream. You'd never know it. They're so... And they're not boasters; they're just so humble. Go ahead. I was just wondering, um, how do you how do you identify the unofficial leader without being you know too aware about that? Thank you. I'm glad you asked, because for us from outside the culture, the best way is just to ask. <laughs> just ask, who are your leaders? And it took me such a long time really get this, <laughs> really wrap my mind around it. When I first was working in Sacramento with refugees, God opened an amazing opportunity. A gardener from the Japanese church I was attending took me to a, an apartment complex where he said, I, I'm sure these are Southeast Asians. You want to see if they speak any of the languages you know? I got out of the car. You know, we prayed before we went, of course. And, got out of the car, the first man I met was from one of the smaller language groups, which was providential because it's usually the smaller language groups that can speak the larger languages. <laughs> he was Mian, and he could speak Hmong and Lao, and those were the three language groups in that apartment complex. And so he actually took me to meet the leaders of the Mian and the Hmong and the Lao communities in that apartment complex. Later, the apartment manager said, I think we have probably 700 Southeast Asian children here. And I, looking back on it, I thought, I, I, I think my, if only I had realized how much that meant. If I had just focused my efforts on those three families, I am sure I would have been so much more effective. But I was just 20. I, I didn't know what I was doing, but praise God, he's merciful. And <laughs> so God raised up two churches in that area. Um, and one, each one has spawned another church. One in north of Sacramento in Oroville, there's a Hmong congregation. And members from the Lao congregation came and planted a church in Holland. <laughs> so... It's, it's amazing what God can do despite our lack of understanding. That's why I want to share with you that if you can find the key influencers and maybe you're the one to share it with them, maybe you need to introduce them to Elder Bob Stewart or to your local pastor or someone who they will see also as a leader because Leaders listen to other leaders, which in the spirit of prophecy, uh, the book Evangelism, the same section, it's close to... So this, this quote is from a section called The Stranger in Our Midst, which is a part of working with special classes. And in that uh, bigger heading, there's a, there's a chapter on working with ministers of other denominations. And that is incredible, too. And when you combine those two, the principles of those two sections, working with other language groups, you have a recipe, with, with the Holy Spirit's leading, you have a recipe for success, for God to be able to, to use you. So um, when you find out who the leader is in their community, um, 
tread prayerfully because that can make or break your ministry. <laughs> um, there, uh, one pastor told me that he was invited to speak to a Hmong. He, he got to know some Hmong people and he was invited to speak to them and to teach Bible. I think it was in maybe another denomination. Um, so he taught, and some things that were, you know, would be testing truths for us, they just welcomed without a question. But then he got to something that he didn't know would make any difference at all. And that just shut the door, and they were all ready to become Seventh-day Adventists, and they all left as a group. So tread softly and prayerfully and carefully. I would like to share one more thing before you leave. Um, we had a lot of good discussion. We didn't go through everything, but I want to give you... Um, is anyone rushing to leave? If not, if so, I can pray with you first, and anyone that needs to go can. Or I can. Um, I'd like to share some specific language groups, um, and kind of give you some direction. So there are several categories. <laughs> there are language groups that have been reached overseas, and therefore, many came as Adventists. And they come to our church, they come find us. Uh, we may not know how to welcome them, but they, tr they try to reach out to us. And if, if, they, if we can provide a place for them to worship in our churches, they will grow. <laughs> they have leaders among them, especially if we can empower those leaders. But there are other language groups that are not reached overseas, so the approach is different. So when you, when you meet a language group that um, that is already, already has Adventists, then typically the best thing, the most effective thing to do is to empower them with a place of worship. Um, and they probably already have a network. We have 170 refugee congregations among 18 language groups, going on 20, a couple in the pipeline. Um, but. I would like you to know a few that we already have uh, workers for, have networks among, and some that we really need cross-cultural ministries to work with, where we don't have enough workers. So um, in fact, just so I don't skip one, let me just run through them alphabetic alphabetically. That's why I gave you pen and paper, so you can jot this down. Um, so, well, this may not be alphabetical anymore, but <laughs> uh, I'm just going to start with. So those that we do have church planting consultants for, and a church planting consultant is someone who is to our knowledge, the best church planter for this language group in North America. And they can help you reach these people. So, um, Lao, uh, our church planting consultant, is in Holland, Michigan. Thanks to Elder Bob Stewart. Did you all of you know Elder Stewart? He is our multi-ethnic ministries coordinator for the Michigan Conference, and we are blessed to have him. It's not every uh, conference leader that understands and, and is so fulfills that counsel, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. He has worked with refugees of various cultures already, and now he's leading our conference in uh, refugee ministries, and it's uh, Amazing things are happening. Uh, Lao, I mentioned Hmong a lot because my husband is Hmong and is such a unique group. Cambodian, Vietnamese. Um, there's another one you may not have heard of, Montagnard. These are 
This is actually a French word for a cluster of languages, typically in the center of Vietnam, who are not native Vietnamese speakers, but they are, it's kind of a grouping of languages. Um, the, but most of them in the states are in, in um, the Greensboro, North Carolina area and the surrounding areas. So there are the Karen, spelled like Karen, Karen, Zomi, Mizo. That's fine if you need to go. <laughs> um, these are all language groups from Southeast Asia with, that we have church planting consultants for. Um, and we are now working with the Falam. We have three budding church plants among the Falam from the former Burma, Myanmar, that was not even reached overseas at the time. And, but we now have three budding church plants, one in Indianapolis, one in, up in Toronto area, and another one in North Carolina. Um, so there are also the Oromo, Amharic. Both of these are from Ethiopia. Swahili, Kinyarwanda. Now, right now, the, these are from African countries. These are from Southeast Asia. These are from African countries. These are from Ethiopia. Um, so Amharic is the official language of Ethiopia, but Oromo is a very prominent language there too. Swahili is one of the most widely spoken, and so it's good to reach other smaller language groups that don't have translations of the scriptures. Sometimes they also speak Swahili, so we can reach them through them. Kinyarwanda is a big one in the U.S. right now. We are still in an influx of about 50,000 Kinyarwanda-speaking refugees from the Congo, Rwanda, Burundi, those countries. And we, some of our largest churches in North America are among the, the Karen and the Kinyarwanda, the Ks. <laughs> and Pastor Bob Stewart was instrumental in helping to find a church for our Kinyarwanda-speaking refugees in Grand Rapids. And it grew to, I don't know, four, 450 people? 450 Yes. Incredible. If you have a chance to visit, uh, amazing. Um, I should mention Burmese. So, uh, so these language groups are from Burma, former Burma. Um, so some of them also speak Burmese, which, but I would like to give you a little warning here. They may be from Burma. That doesn't mean they identify as Burmese because it's the Burmese that burned their villages and killed their uncles and, and poisoned their water supplies. It's the, it's the Burmese government, the Burmese soldiers were the ones that ruined their peaceful life. And uh, so uh, be careful not to call Refugees from Burma. Yeah. So just a little warning there. If, if you ask them what language you speak, another thing to keep in mind is if, they, if you ask where you're from, and they say Burma, you can ask what language they speak. If they say Chin, then ask them which dialect. Actually, that wouldn't be. So I'll tell you what has happened here. And many of them don't even realize it, but I've asked enough people who really know the history and the background. So Burma is focused on the three Bs, the Burma, Burmese government. They want... Right. So 
the Burmese government is focused on the three Bs. They, they believe that everyone, they want to purify Burma or Myanmar now from anyone who is not of Brahmin descent, Burmese speaking, and Buddhist. If you don't fit those three categories, you don't belong there. That's why there are nearly a million Rohingya refugees who have had to flee from Myanmar into Bangladesh right now. That's why there are some, that's that the, some of the worst refugee camps, refugee camps with the worst conditions in the world were on the Thai-Burma border, where the Karen refugees fled from having their villages burned, their water supplies poisoned, and they're still fleeing, even though there are people from even that language group that they put as figureheads in the government to say, so, you know, we're diverse, you know, but these are just puppets. But it, it serves their purpose, and so the West says, oh, it's no problem yet. So they cut off the quota for Karen refugees coming here because they think everything's fine. Meanwhile, still burning villages, still poisoning water supplies just like before. Um, so this, the Karen are from the, the um, east side, from the west side. Right. There's two language groups there, the Poor and the Skull and the Karen. Right. The, um, the long, yeah. I know of white and green. Right. Right. <laughs> um, so these are from the Thai Burma side, these are from the west. So they're from Chin State. Basically, Zomi, Mizo, Falam, Hakka, and that actually in Chin State there are over a hundred of what the Burmese call dialects, where actually these are real languages. In Mizoram, the Mizo people in, in India, the Mizo people have their own state of Mizoram, their own schools in the Mizo language. Mizo is an actual language. Each of these is an actual language, not just a dialect. And like, these are two dialects of Karen. There are green and white Hmong, those are dialects. But these are languages, but the Burmese leadership has brainwashed them to believe that they are mere dialects of Chin, when actually Chin is just a state. So it's, it's amazing the, the intentionality with which they are minimizing the significance of each language group. Um, so, but you don't have to go in, <laughs> don't go into them and tr try to convince them, well, I know more, you know, <laughs> because this, but just, just so you know, if they say they speak Chin, just say which dialect of Chin. And if they speak Zomi or Mizo or Falam, we have a network of churches. We have, we can help you. To, to reach each of these, they're translating spirit of prophecy into these languages and everything. Um, I just... Thailand itself, the Thai language, we have the Lama, Kingdom of the Lama, down that the southern, and if you get into the history of that, you find out how they suppressed the one and tried to merge it in, and stuff like that. I think and then, then how does Lao relate and get split off, and then, because the language is... There's, at least in what communism did in establishing Lao was, okay, we're, we're taking, I don't know how much was close to Thai, but they just like squashed, we're simplifying this. Yeah. And then that becomes Lao through, I don't know if it started with communism or not. Yeah, it did. That was when it happened. So what he's referring to is, is yes. in the Thai language. Um, let me just jot this down and then let's pray and you can go. Okay, here's another, uh, but I would like to, I would like to mention one language group that is the most open yet least reached language group, newly coming refugee language group in North America, and that is the Nepalese speaking Bhutanese refugees. This language group is the one we need the most cross-cultural ministry um, missionaries to because we we only have one or two <laughs> people within the culture that are you know qualified to share the gospel. 
So we need cross-cultural missionaries, and we have Nepalese in the Grand Rapids area and some other areas, you told me, Saginaw uh, as well. So as, but let's bow our heads for prayer. Thank you so much for good discussion. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for the privilege of exploring how to be most effective among the language groups that you have brought here for us to share with, share you with. Lord, I pray that you will be with each one. Lord, I pray that you will guide us to people from cultures that are less reached by the gospel and help us to share, help them to love them to you, help us to know how to best introduce them to you and empower them to share you with their own people. Thank you so much. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio2023 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.